this week on the Formation Lab. Tim elects new people to stare at every week like a weirdo. And Luke has to deal with Tim at the end of a holiday party marathon thing, and he's exhausted. So let's see if Luke can drag Tim through this episode. Well, you know, you're at, what, four now? Four over the last week, and this is what's left, Luke. It's not much. It's mostly caffeine pumping through my veins, and, hey. You can get a nice caffeine hit while we cue the tunes. This is the Formation Lab. Welcome on, welcome all to this episode of the Formation Lab, the only podcast on the internet that's ate 40 pizzas in 30 days. That's a that's that's our did claim you, to fame. Did you really? No, that's Papa John who claimed he did that. Oh, uh, that sounds terrible for you. Yeah, well, you he need to go to your cardiologist like <laughs> yesterday. He claimed he claimed that since he's been fired, he's ate forty pizzas in thirty days, and the quality of Papa John's pizza just isn't there. Which, by the way, forty what? pizzas in thirty days is three and a half slices per meal per day for an entire month. I want to barf now. <laughs> like that's disgusting. <laughs> Oh. But that's our claim to fame. We're the only that, podcast on the internet that's ever you, matched that. Did you see that we got an offer from uh, to be the sole podcast, the exclusive podcast for the Chris Pratt store on Amazon? No, I did not. We just got that email like an hour ago. Oh my gosh, let me check my you phone. Need to, you need to check it. Oh, I love his work in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, What's up, Star-Lord? <laughs> welcome right. to the Formation Lab. I'm Luke. I'm Tim. It's uh, before we uh, we we have a couple things we want to do today. Doctor LeBeau is in the house. We recorded this just the other day, and Doctor LeBeau gave us just the time of our lives. Great interview, Tim. You've listened to it. He's such a rock star, dude. He is the first returning guest we have, and for good reason. Doctor LeBeau is a champ. Yes, a he champion is. among. He makes men. me wish I did better in school. <laughs> he does. Why didn't I have a, a teacher like uh, Doctor LeBeau? Oh, right. Darn it. So we're gonna we're gonna cue that up, but uh, after that we have a list of notable villains in F one, and you've had a corner over here, the Rich Energy Corner. You've had William Story staring holes into your brain with his poor imitation of a ZZ Top beard. Yes, it's been it, he's staring through my soul, and it's not like a searing stare. It's more of the I'm here and I'm awkward and creepy stare. So and it's like. Yeah. Oh, man, you need some company over there just to fill out the whole thing. So we do have a new spin on our awards this week with the... the I don't know. The, <laughs> we're raising... Rich an, energy inductees. The rich energy inductees. I was going to say we're raising an unholy nightmare army, but... <laughs> uh, you're not too far off. But we, I think we have some solid contenders this week. We you and I are going to debate a mm-hmm. little bit. But uh, I think we've got some solid shoe we got some, here. We got some good people. We're going to explain why they're on the list. Don't for worry, those of you, Story. You got some company mm-hmm. coming, buddy. For those of you who are new to the sport, we're going to explain why they're on this list of F1 villains, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna hash it out. We're gonna put some people over in the corner so Tim has to stare at them and Luke doesn't. So, <laughs> yeah, oh, thanks, bud. Uh, Love you too. No problem. Merry Christmas. But oh, <laughs> God, happy holidays. But and now for... I've now I've subjected everyone to my singing. So. Bye. Buckle up, guys. It's that kind of week. Oh, it's that time of year. Oh. All right. But first, though, here, without any further ado, is our interview with Dr. LeBeau, maybe my favorite interview of 2019. The Formation Lab. Well, it's uh, it's officially the offseason. There's no racing going on. There's a little bit of dirt racing going on uh, here in St. Louis over the offseason, but 
There's not much. So we wanted to really take a crack at these 2021 rules. This 2021 rule set has all sorts of changes to aerodynamics and the use of wind tunnels. So I thought no better person to bring in than our first returning guest, Dr. Ray LeBeau. <laughs> How are you doing, Dr. I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing well. I'm excited to get some answers on this. Uh, you know, it's our off season, so I figured this would be a good time to, you know, dive deep mm-hmm. and uh, get some get some understanding. So F1, you know, they released this huge overhaul of the rules. For the first time ever, there's going to be a spending budget. There's all sorts of all sorts of wild and crazy things to the Europeans that, you know, don't usually have salary caps in their sport. Um, and one of the major rule changes is uh, severely limiting a, a lot of things due to aero, including wind tunnel testing uh, right. to slash cost. So I wanted to start out and just talk about wind tunnel testing mm-hmm. and um, just how you know economically viable is that, and not only economically, but how that works. And then we'll move on to the car itself. So uh, my first thing is just economically, like how expensive is it to run a wind tunnel? I can't imagine it can be cheap, right? No. I mean, if you're running something on the scale of the full-size car, mm-hmm. that is going to cost millions of dollars in order to set it up properly and do the runs in a way that give you good results. Because a lot of the challenge is actually getting good results out of the wind tunnel run. You can build a wind tunnel, you can stick a car in it, but if you can't get the data, then there's no point in doing it. So getting good data is part of the challenge of doing wind tunnel testing. So it, they're thinking that you can replace that with computer mm-hmm. uh modeling. And my thought is, if it's all about data, well, is the data you receive from the actual physical test, is that the same as computer? Not exactly, because one of the things about doing computer modeling is that you can actually get a lot more data, because Mm -hmm. you can calculate whatever the heck you want out of the data. You You have information everywhere over the car. Unlike when you do a test in the wind tunnel, where you're usually looking at specific areas of the wind tunnel where you're getting information, You have sensors, et cetera, located in certain areas. CFD, computational work, gives you all of the results everywhere. But the challenge with doing the CFD is that it's only so accurate. And we can only ground our accuracy by comparing it to things like wind tunnel testing. So you basically have this back-and-forth play where you do computational analysis to try to get more details, but you also go to the wind tunnel to make sure that the details are well, right, because if they're not right, obviously you're not getting a lot out of it. So what you're going to lose by not being able to do as much wind tunnel testing is you're going to lose some of that ground truth. You're not going to be able to test every little tweak, every little change that you make and look at all that in great detail in the wind tunnel. Instead, what you're going to have to rely on is doing some of that and then going to the computer and saying, okay, if we can match this well, then we're going to presume that we're doing well on the whole thing, and therefore we can examine the little tweaks that we want to do on the computer. So would it be, a, I mean, this is just an opinion, uh, would mm-hmm. it be of your opinion that then it would be easier for teams to make like a misstep in, well, this wing looked good in the simulations, but we didn't have the time or allocation to put you know a physical wing into the wind tunnel. So it could be easier for them to make a misstep and attach a bad wing to a car. I think there is the possibility, a slight increase in the possibility that there will be a misstep because ultimately you're going to be cheating a little bit. And once you have your final design, you're not necessarily going to go back to the wind tunnel and do a whole bunch of wind tunnel testing to make sure that it's working. You're going to say, okay, let's take it out on the road, see what happens. Um, So I do think there's going to be a, a little bit of a penalty paid in that regard. On the other hand, 
if you've developed a good database of computational uh, methods, then you can figure out what the corrections are and actually be able to look at a lot more designs more quickly. So it kind of there's a trade-off there in terms of it's easier typically if you have the computer power to change your design on the computer than to change your design in the wind tunnel where you actually have to do the physical change. So yes, I think there's a slight increase in the likelihood that you're going to miss something because you're not going to do as much, you know, actual testing of the design. On the flip side, you will have the opportunity to look at a greater variety of designs more easily and maybe come up with better designs as a result. So I think there's a trade-off that'll happen. Now, back to CFD, as mm -hmm. you called it, which mm -hmm. I, I read that was called. So I didn't want to use jargon right out the Sorry, door. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. That's what I do. So. Well, I didn't want to use incorrect jargon <laughs> right. and have nope. you be like, that's, ah, it's nope, actually. Nope, that's good jargon right there. <laughs> so um, how often do you see like something modeled in CFD and then something – that same thing put in the wind tunnel give different result. Like just well, it depends wildly. on how far wildly different at this point. No, if mm -hmm. you know what you're doing with CFD and you have the computer power to support it, you are not going to see wildly different results. You will see subtly different results, though, and those subtle differences can be important because you're trying to get every last decimal point of advantage out mm -hmm. of your design. So there are going to be the potential for small differences. Plus, just like with a wind tunnel, you can easily change the speed. You can, you know, you put it in the tunnel, you change the speed, you change the angles, you change the conditions relatively straightforwardly. It's harder to change the car, but it's easy to change the conditions. In a CFD situation, you're just doing a whole new run. If you want to make it one mile per hour slower, you've got to start from the beginning, do that whole simulation again in order to get an accurate result. And so there's a trade-off in what kind of things are easier to do while you're doing computational work and what's easier to do while you're doing wind tunnel work. And so the ability to test as many situations, you're going to do different things naturally with CFD than you are with a wind tunnel. And so that's where you might miss some stuff. But, you know, Boeing, most major aircraft companies have moved more and more towards CFD because the CFD is getting increasingly accurate. And so as long as you know what you're doing and you do have ways to check and make sure you're online, I don't think you're going to get wildly different results, but you may miss something because you're just not going to test the same kind of things you would necessarily in a wind tunnel. It's interesting to me that it um, you have to kind of reset the test because I didn't think about that. I thought you know, my background is, mm -hmm. is more arts, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I thought, eh, you put it in like a 3D modeler and you just kind of rotate it or something. Like, But you have to, if you want to slow it down or something, it's it's a whole whole right. other process. That's though. a whole other process because in a wind tunnel, all you do is you just take the fan, turn it down right. a little bit and wait a minute or so and you have take some data. In a CFD calculation, you basically have to restart the calculation mm -hmm. from the new conditions because you're controlling the conditions by controlling what are called the boundary conditions, kind of the edges of where the calculation is. That's how you're controlling the conditions. And so you can have a much, it takes much longer to get the calculation. And if you have a lot of computers, if you're really doing a complicated 3D model, like one of these cars mm -hmm. and have all the details, it's going to take a while to do those calculations. And if you say, well, I want to go one mile slower, yeah, there's ways to cheat it a little bit and, and, and make it go a little bit faster. But still, you have to do an extended period of calculations. If it takes you 24 hours to do one set of calculations, maybe you can knock it down to 12 hours. But you're still doing a long period of calculations just for that small change. Okay. And I assume, you know, back to the economics here, mm -hmm. I assume that no matter how many calculations you do, you're not going to touch the amount of dollars, you know, it would cost to just fill well, I mean, the wind tunnel. 
you could, but you don't have. Most right. people won't do that. <laughs> no, it, it's CFD has gotten cheaper and cheaper. Mm -hmm. Wind tunnels haven't gotten cheaper and cheaper over time. Computers have gotten cheaper and cheaper over time. So CFD likewise has gotten cheaper and cheaper over time. And that, and that's what I what I figured was you know it's it's 2019 going on 2020 computers have always gotten cheaper over the past, you know, mm -hmm. so many years, and they're going to continue to do so, uh, you know. So I figured that, you know, you have to make this jump at some point, um, and, and cost-wise, you know, it's only going to go down, so to speak. So. Well, again, like I said, in the world of aircraft, they have already been making this mm -hmm. shift, and they're doing more and more work computationally as opposed to putting things in a wind tunnel. You can't get rid of wind tunnels entirely. Like I said, you need that ground tr truth, but... Yeah, generally speaking, it's going to be cheaper to do a CFD simulation than a wind tunnel study. So uh, wind tunnels, this might be outside of your area mm -hmm. of expertise. I don't know. But um, F1 has a plan to go carbon neutral by 2030. Okay. And uh, I assume that wind tunnels aren't the greenest thing. Uh, I mean, no. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of power involved mm -hmm. with running a wind tunnel. Now, if depending on where you get that power from, if you're getting that power from a solar array, then there really isn't a whole lot of carbon impact associated okay. with that. So really, same thing with computers. If you think about computers, where you get the power from is really the carbon impact of those things. Okay. So that's going to, the wind tunnel itself doesn't do a whole lot. You know, you're not really running the car. The car is just sitting there. Yeah, you have to run sort of power system, but if it's an electrical motor system, then that's not going to really use a lot, mm -hmm. produce a lot of pollution or anything. So there are ways to make both of them relatively green. You're just going to need a lot more power to run the wind tunnel than it is necessarily to run the computer. Ah, so. That makes sense. Um, and then your background, of course, mm -hmm. we've discussed this previously, is is more in aeroplanes. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that comes up when they say we want to be green by 2030 is, one, that's a long time. But, two, you as a sport ship, you know, Mm -hmm. Tons of packages and people mm -hmm. over planes year over year over year. Yes. That's a big hurdle to get over. Do you think that that is doable, though? By the Well, end? I think what you'd have to do is you'd have to change your approach mm -hmm. to how you're actually doing your traveling, your planning, and also, you know, shipping in last-minute parts, et cetera. Um, you'd have to change how you were looking at that. Now, I don't know. Obviously, the cars themselves are not going to be carbon neutral. I'm assuming they're not going all electric cars anytime no. in the future. They're, they are close. <laughs> I will say they're very close to uh, to being very um, – they're very fuel efficient. Yes. So, like, outside of, like, a Chevy Volt, they're mm -hmm. more efficient and they're greener than just about any car you or I would drive. So No, and I can believe that partially because of the weight issue. They're mm -hmm. much lighter, for example. So I can totally believe that in terms of an automobile, they're quite green, but that's not carbon neutral mm -hmm. still. Um, so I don't know what their plans are to try to – balance that off if they're trying to do a full-scale carbon neutral setup but yes i think you you would have to look at planning you would have to look at how you organize things you would have to look how you ship teams around for example it would be a big deal in terms of your carbon output if you can reduce the carbon out when you're traveling so yeah it was my understanding i think the statistic i read earlier uh was something like 90 percent of all emissions by f1 are just in the fact that like well, we're racing in Austria, and next week we're racing in Texas, and then after that we're right. racing in Malaysia. There's nothing – you have to fly those. Yep. You can't ship them at and that a, point. And flying has a huge carbon impact in part because of the energy, but also because of where you actually fly, just for the record. The fact that the emissions occur much higher in the atmosphere 
causes them to stay longer oh. than a typical ground emission. And so that's one of the reasons why people talk about how much carbon is involved in flight is because it also has a larger – each carbon molecule, if you like, has a lar larger impact on global uh, – on the greenhouse effect because of the fact that it stays in the air longer and doesn't get removed as quickly. So I never knew that. That's yeah. interesting. You're basically taking the carbon to where it – hypothetically wants to go so to speak You're well it's not where so much the carbon wants to go but it's where it can't get it can't right. you know, be taken out <laughs> you're so. taking it to the worst possible location not quite but getting in that yeah. vicinity <laughs> yeah you're, you're definitely making it a situation because down near the surface you know plants can suck it out of the atmosphere there's a lot of chemistry that can happen and that can change what's happening near the surface but when it's up there there's not nearly as much chemistry happening and not nearly as as fast a process of removing the carbon. Mm. So. That's that's interesting. And now that you say that, it, it makes me wonder, because I know McLaren as a team is, mm -hmm. they claim they're carbon neutral, and that includes their shipping. Mm -hmm. And it makes me wonder, like, if that's, if flying is that much of the brunt of it, how do you offset that? And they claim they have a lot of green initiatives that offset that. And right. I, I haven't looked into all their green initiatives, but I'm, I'm curious as to how much it takes for them to offset that amount. Yeah, I mean, there's that's that's happening in a lot of different fields. Mm -hmm. When I go to conferences now, we can check a box and pay an extra 20 or 30 bucks and declare ourselves as carbon neutral because we're supporting, you know, building solar energy systems or planting trees or doing other things that is designed to remove carbon out of the atmosphere in theory to offset what we're doing. So I'm assuming that's kind of what they're talking about as well, is that they're doing these various projects that are supposed to help reduce carbon elsewhere mm. so they can take that credit and use the carbon that they have to have to fly around. But I think, you know, another possibility is, you know, that IndyCar could say, okay, instead of going from Austria to Texas to uh, you know, Germany or whatever, they say, okay, we're going to stick in Europe for several weeks, and then we'll call come over to the U.S. at one time, do several races in the U.S. at the same time. That would significantly reduce, for example, doing transatlantic shipping back and forth. You could say, okay, let's make it a sequence. So we'll start in Texas, and then we can drive to, you know, Kentucky, and then we can drive to Illinois or something like that and reduce the carbon requirement that way. And just as a note to our listeners, that is something that you see more and more every year is we have much more of a defined North American leg and South American leg of the mm. of the schedule. Um, the only thing that really doesn't make sense is the rate at which we hit Asia. We start in Australia, then we go to uh, China, then we go to the Middle East, then we go to Europe, then we go back to you know Japan later, then we go back to Europe and stick in there, and then we go back to Singapore, and it's just like we could have – they're getting there, though, for, for the record to our uh, to our listeners. They're getting there, but that is that is something I think that, that they could do. So let's uh, let's shift gears here. Mm -hmm. I've, I've given you a handy little illustration of two right. <laughs> F1 cars. And uh, we have the present Ferrari, and we have the hypothetical 2021 car. Right. I want to say that this is actually uh, – this one's a computer design, obviously, but there does exist a car that looks – exactly like this that they've driven on road and track and they've put in wind tunnels and whatnot so i just wanted to ask you i mean you know you're not an f1 engineer again mm -hmm. but is there anything that just immediately stands out to you on this design that's radically different well i mean there's several things one is the uh the rear wing or the rear spoiler where they've basically taken off the end walls if you look and so mm. right now they've made it so that 
surface does not have any sort of blockage on the the uh, on the tips, and that's going to actually reduce the effectiveness of that because one of the reasons you have the end walls is to make that more effective. Um, but I assume the reason they're doing that is because they're trying to reduce some of the com complex flow that is generated by the complex end wall structures that currently exist. And one of the goals, my understanding, one of the goals of what they're trying to do is they're trying to get the air cleaner behind the cars. And they're trying to say, okay, we don't want as much complexity. And so that's kind of making a simpler rear wing. Also, the front wing is being made simpler as well for the same reason. It's, it's trying to say, we're going to limit to how much you can do there in order to make the flow cleaner behind the car. Mm -hmm. The way I understand they're trading that off, and admittedly that's not something you can see here. This is based on something when I was looking at some of the, re the changes in the rules and people talking about them, is they're going to increase the ground effect. They're going to go ahead and say, all right, we're going to allow you to have a lot more ground effect to hold the car down because we're making the stuff on top of the car less effective. We're basically cleaning the air up, not letting you do as complex aerodynamics and keeping the flow um, not keeping the flow from getting as dirty or as turbulent as, as it has in the past. But the trade-off is we still have to keep it on the ground. Mm -hmm. So You don't want a flying F1 car. That no. would be very bad for everybody involved. <laughs> so, so that's why they're saying, hey, we'll, we'll go to the trade-off and say, we'll allow you to do more of this ground effect pulling the car down by speeding the flow up underneath. And by doing that, that's the trade-off they seem to be making. And that ground, and the advantage of that is, and I think we talked about this last time mm -hmm. actually, is that ground effect is more robust against turbulence. It's not going to be as bothered by the dirty air as much as the upper surface and all the all the various wings, et cetera, all that stuff is much more sensitive to how, how the airflow is coming in. The the ground effect is just mass conservation. It's just flow comes in. We shrink it, it has to speed up, the pressure goes down, flow has to go out. And so it's more robust against all the mess. So they're trying to make it, my understanding looking at it is they're trying to make things less turbulent, but they're behind the cars and they're simultaneously trying to make the um, system to give you enough downward pressure to maintain your contact and maintain your speed more robust against that dirty air. And so that seems to me the two things that they're trying to do with the redesign. And uh, just looking at this, I mean, to my, you know, aerodynamically mm -hmm. untrained eye, this looks like something that would actually be, all things being equal, faster in a straight line uh, because it has less complex bits to me to, um, you know, increase drag. Well, and the trade-off that you're looking at is can you keep the flow attached at those speed stills? So if you mm -hmm. remember, the trick is, is that, you want the flow to follow the surface. If the flow is following the surface, you avoid what's called separation, which creates a lot of drag. And so you can make it more streamlined, which is kind of what you're looking at there. You're saying, you know, this looks like it would really run faster. It, it has smoother lines, smoother curves. And it could, but that's when we get into the subtleties of how well does the flow stay on the car in order to follow the curves. And that's what some of the complexity of the aerodynamics of F1s are, is coming up with ways to keep the flow attached mm -hmm. to the car. So so at some level, based on the testing, I think that's true, that this car looks more aerodynamic in that sense. And that's also because they are reducing the effectiveness of some of the tricks that people have used to keep it on the ground mm -hmm. or, or improve the aerodynamics. 
So yeah, I think I I don't think your your visual examination is wrong. I think they are saying, hey, we can make the car more streamlined, more aerodynamic, less inherent drag to the design, but we're taking away your ability to trick the airflow into staying, or some of the ability to trick the airflow to staying on the vehicle and avoid separation. Okay, Th that makes sense to me. Um, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting design. I think when I first looked at it. I was just like, that looks very, very much, very much more streamlined than the current design. And I think that's, I think I and a lot of fans had this reaction that was like, wow, that just, it, it's a bunch of little changes, but it adds up to look like something entirely different. One thing I wanted to highlight mm -hmm. was the F1 uh, 2021 car has actual uh, covers on the face of the wheels. So those, right. uh, those spokes, those designs are actually just kind of covers that cover, you know, the the caps. What is, what would be the advantage of that? Is it just more flow control? I think I think they're just trying to cut down on the disturbed air again, mm. on the dirty air. Basically, the tires generate a fair bit of dirty air. They're rotating very quickly, obviously, and so they're accelerating the flow in all sorts of interesting ways when the flow comes in contact with that. And so, as a result, you're, a lot of dirty air is developed by the tires. And one of the jobs of the front wing was to try to create barriers to keep that dirty air from hitting your car but of course if it's not hitting your car it's still going on behind you and affecting the flow behind the car and affecting the flow around your car and so i think the covers are designed to help reduce the dirty air effect being generated by the tires and that's like i said a lot of these changes are designed to try to reduce because in the end when you're designing your car you don't care about the dirty air behind you, right? It no. doesn't, that doesn't affect you. And, in fact, it's an advantage. If the guy behind you can't catch up, <laughs> hey, that's what I want. That's his problem. Exactly. Right. So up to now, the design has not really focused on trying to make it easier for the car behind. The design has been, hey, I want to go as fast as I can. And now what Formula One is saying is, hey, no, we have to worry about what's happening behind the car because it's messing up the sport and it's hampering people's ability to pass and to race and create the exciting situations that I think Formula One people want to see. Right. So, um, so uh, I have a couple more. Mm -hmm. One is kind of more of a, a, a question about you and the kind of people you work with. Mm -hmm. um, the, so currently teams spend up to about $500 million, and a good mm -hmm. chunk of that is aerodynamic mm -hmm. research, right? Mm -hmm. the, cur the upcoming budget cap in 2021 is – Two hundred million dollars, which is okay. a very drastic reduction, right. to say the least. Right. Um, I should add to our listeners: there are three exceptions, and that is the drivers can get paid anything the teams want, and then the three highest staff members, so like mm -hmm. the crew chief, the team boss, can get paid whatever. But everything else, development, is two hundred million dollars, salaries, time, etc. If you had that kind of like a percentage of slash mm -hmm. uh, budget cut, mm -hmm. um. How how would that kind of adapt? How would how do you adapt to that kind of well, research time? So I think again, one thing is you cut down on your wind tunnel time, as mm. we've already talked about. That'll incur a certain amount of savings. A second thing is is again, you're just not going to be able to look as at as many possibilities. You're going to kind of have to say, I like this design. I can do so many checks on this design, and that's pretty much where I have to stop. And Again, I'm, there's going to be some implications of that, as you mentioned earlier, that you might miss some stuff because you can't do as much work and you can't do as many simulations. You can't do as much wind tunnel testing. So it's going to be 
I think what you would see is that if the rules stay relatively stable for a few years, that teams would catch up because they'd be able to accumulate the knowledge they need based on these new rules and use that from year to year. And after a few years of this, they'll be like, okay, I have a, I have a pretty good idea of how to make that work. I suspect in the first year or the first couple of years, you may see a much greater diversity of design because people are going to be making guesses and they're not going to be able to try every possibility out. So they're going to say, okay, I like this approach and we're going to go with this approach. And you're going to see potentially more diversity in the car design because you can't really refine it to the level where everyone kind of starts converging on the same basic design. So that would be, so you, that's where you just, you'd be cutting down on the amount of testing that you can do. And it would become much more of a game for the designers and designer knowledge is going to play a much larger role because you just can't throw a bunch of wind tunnel tests or computers at it and just try every possibility. This always fascinates me because F1 is just as much a sport about the engineers, about the mm -hmm. designers. I mean, shoot, when a big engineer comes, you know, goes from like a Mercedes to a Ferrari, right. we talk about how much this changes. Mm -hmm. It's just as much a sport for them as it as it is, you know, the actual driver. They're right. they're called a pilot for a reason because they're stuck into, you know, the the machine, but at the end of the day, it's the machine that does the performing. So I think I re I got a big old grin when you said you could have so many, you know, diverse designs because mm -hmm. I think that's um, one of the things that I'm looking forward to because, you know, personal note, I love chaos. It's what I love about sports is just like sometimes you get just unpredictable things mm -hmm. and you just scratch your head. And you're like, that is how in the world did that happen? And I think that that's something I really look forward to is this increase in like, what are they going to do? I don't know, but they'll, they'll come with ups with some wacky ideas and whatever sticks on the wall sticks. <laughs> well, I think it's going to be the difference between a computer playing chess and a grandmaster playing chess. A computer playing chess basically says, I'm just going to calculate every possible result here and mm -hmm. choose the one that gives me what I think is the optimum result. Well, a grandmaster can't do that, but they can, by their experience and their knowledge, they're able to say, you know, I think this is the best way to go to win this match. And so you're going to see it more shifting toward the grandmaster aspect rather than just the brute force of test after test, different design test approach that you can use when you have huge budgets and lots of capabilities, therefore. I gotta say, as a chess as a chess club member in high school, no. proud chess club member, thank you. Uh, I really like that analogy. Uh, you a chess guy? I've played chess. I'm not a huge chess guy. Slu has a pretty good chess team, actually. Yeah, right now, yeah. So. I was gonna say, I know that they're they're pretty high up, and I know, of course, the the Hall of Fame in museum yep. is up here in St. Louis. That's right, all of you international listeners of all the places for <laughs> international <laughs> chess Hall of Fame to be, it's here. <laughs> I know it's kind of a shocking that it's here, but you know, hey, it's a great thing for St. Louis. And, it is. Uh, it is. I I love this town. We have so many interesting things. I think we get a bad rap sometimes. But uh, speaking of chaos, we talked about chaos earlier. One of our favorite uh, favorite sports is going through an upheaval, and it's not F1 this time. It's IndyCar. IndyCar, okay. we uh, have a running joke that it, it's the designs are all uh, are all similar. They're spec. Mm -hmm. So the only difference is whether you have a Honda engine or a Chevy engine and how much you've basically trimmed out your wings. Okay. And that's the only difference between any given car. Um, so it leads to a lot of chaos because anybody can win any given race because they're all the same car. Right. <laughs> um, so IndyCar has what they call aero screens. It's basically a big old wind, windshield. Provided you a picture for uh, mm -hmm. listeners. It's the picture of Scott Dixon testing at Richmond Raceway. Um, first off, uh, you know, this is 
to protect, obviously, a driver from flying debris. It's to protect from tires that fly off and might hit somebody in the head, as what happened with uh, Justin Wilson, tragically, mm-hmm. a few years ago. And uh, this seems to me, one, it kind of looks ugly, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but uh, I said the same thing about the Formula One flip-flop there, Halo design, but they've worked that into the chassis. So I'm like, give it a few years. We'll figure out how to make mm-hmm. it look good. It looks like it would uh, drastically change the aerodynamics of that area of the car, doesn't it? It looks like you're yes. just sticking an extra wing almost in the middle of it. Well, you're sticking a, an extra surface, yeah, in the way. And so the flow is not going to travel the same way over that as it did when you had an open chassis. So there's going to be a – and it's more vertical, if you look at it, that's kind of tilting up relative to the slope of the mm-hmm. front of the car. They're tilting it up further. Now, that is good to try to keep the flow attached, as we talked about before. So that's going to help keep the flow more attached as it's going over that. But you are going to suffer a significant drag effect because of that surface. And now that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be worse because if you think about the flow going into an open chassis and over a driver, it gets very complicated and you can generate a fair bit of drag out of that. So I can't say exactly that that's going to be a huge increase in drag necessarily from the open chassis, but I would intuitively expect it to be because otherwise people would have been thinking about doing that years ago to reduce the drag in the first place. Um, So, yeah, so I think you're going to see a, a significant drag effect on there um and in addition well the thing i would say is that as you go forward this is something else if you could make it more streamlined you might actually be able to reduce that and maybe even make it a drag benefit you know planes stopped going away from open chassis a long time ago in part because there was a drag bill partially because we kept going faster and faster and no (laughs) one wants to be exposed at you know 500 miles per hour but the fact is that part of it was because research said hey if we design the cover well, it's actually better aerodynamically than just having this open space for the pilot. Mm-hmm. And so I think looking at this right now, intuitively, I can't say it feels like they made the optimum design for the shield, but it may be that with some more work, it would actually turn out to be a benefit mm-hmm. in the long run. It's interesting that you say that because obviously the design was made for safety, mm-hmm. for safety right. purposes. So speed is kind of secondary. A, right. Yeah. Everybody's going, well, you know, if they're slower, so be it. We could save somebody's life right. like this. Right. But it's interesting that you say that because I didn't, I thought, you know, as time goes on, you know, it, it might look better, but obviously you're adding more weight, you're adding more surface, mm-hmm. you know. But if it actually, now that you mention airplanes, it makes sense to me that maybe there is a way to you know, optimize that and make it, in the end, even quicker than an open There very well could be. I mean, again, that's getting down to some more subtle details that's Mm -hmm. hard to just take out of a photo. Right. But but no, I think there is a potential that if you designed it well, again, if you drive around with your windows open, you're actually, so there's always that trade-off whether you should have the air conditioner or your windows open. And the fact is, if you open your windows, you're actually increasing the drag of the car (laughs) because the flow is going into the car, creates more turbulence. Etc. So it's not a so you're you're penalized one way or the other. The question is which way you're penalized more. Same kind of thing here. Close enclosing it can give you better results depending on how well you design the enclosure. Mm-hmm. So potentially, as they if they go forward with this and they balance off the safe. So you're right. This is designed for safety. So now what we have to do is say we need to keep it as safe, but can we design it to be more aerodynamic at the same time? 
Makes sense. I just want to know too, uh, from your aerodynamic, you know, brain you got going there. Mm-hmm. This is a very, very low downforce car, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it just, to me, even my untrained brain goes, that is a very non-low downforce piece of glass <laughs> in the middle of the lowest downforce thing I've ever seen. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think that's not a fair assessment. <laughs> uh, not an unfair assessment, excuse me. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's you can get very surprising results in fluid dynamics and things that you intuitively think are not great actually turn out to be quite good. I don't know if you remember the Taurus where they first came out with the Taurus at Ford. It had this bulbous back end and everyone was like, what the heck is that? Why are you doing that? It turns out that was better aerodynamically than not having the bulbous back end, having the traditional back end. And so it is surprising when you're in the field of designing things to be aerodynamic. Things that you don't expect actually can help, and things that you expect to help don't always help. And it depends on your conditions and depends on what you're aiming to do. Not that the Prius was aimed at going fast, but I remember when it was developed, they were like, no, this is very much a an optimal design for this. And everybody's like, yeah, but it looks silly, right. doesn't it? But as a Prius driver for, I think it was eight or nine years, mm-hmm. worked like a charm, didn't it? Yeah. So uh, thank you so much, Dr. LeBeau. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll have, be here. You, we'll have you back in a, at a different time, uh, mm-hmm. talk some more aerodynamics. It's always fun learning. I love, love, love learning. It's one of the my great passions is is just learning about things that I don't know, especially after you leave college. It's like, come on, you got to have quench the thirst for knowledge. Right. So I love having you in here. I love, uh, you know, learning new things, and it's always awesome to have you explain things to you know my idiot brain over here so well you know what you have the knowledge of f1 i can talk about the aerodynamics so we can cover both ends of it we've we've balanced it out so thank you so much dr lebeau we're going to take a quick break tim will be back right now we're going to talk about the greatest villains in f1 history we have a small villain corner with only one guy in it we're going to address that coming up here shortly on the formation lap with 101 espn the formation lap all right, so we're actually back real quick here, and uh, we were talking. Uh, Dr. LeBeau said that he saw Ford versus Ferrari. First off, what would you think of the movie? I enjoyed the movie a lot. I thought it was a, a, a good movie, an excellent movie for the plot, and also its engineering was pretty solid, so that's always a good thing. So talk to us a little bit about the engineering, because I, from my understanding, most of that, you know, most almost all of that story is obviously true. Um, obviously, there were little things they took mm-hmm. here and there. Leah Iacocca was a much bigger figure. For the record, but from a from an engineering standpoint, how did this stand up? Well, I think they showed a lot of the process you have to go through with engineering, and also some of the reasons why you just can't build the best machine possible. So, engineers have to deal with budgets. Engineers have to deal with higher ups saying, "I don't like this idea." Engineers have to deal with a lot of external factors, and they just can't build the perfect machine to their mind. But some of the testing they did, so I was mentioning that they did the tough testing, which is what it's called, where you put little pieces of string or yarn all over the vehicle, and you then take video of it or film of it and see how they move when you're driving the car. And that's a very common technique that's used in wind tunnels for planes, for cars, for a variety of vehicles, because it gives you a sense of whether the flow is lambda or turbulent. It gives you a sense of whether you're developing vortices. It gives you a sense of where the direction of the flow is, which obviously when you're dealing with air, one of our big challenges is you can't see it. So being able to do what's called flow visualization, and actually this is something we talk about in our program, Mm -hmm. that's what we're looking at is how do you do flow visualization? How do you see what the flow is doing when it's essentially an invisible fluid? And that's what you're able to do with the tough testing is you're able to see what's happening with the flow over the surfaces. And it's been a very important tool 
through a long period of aerodynamics. So one of my favorite details um, mm -hmm. is Ken Miles. In real life, this is true. You know, he knew that machine inside and out. Right. So, like, you know, he would – they'd be like, well, you know, we have to plug it in. They had that big old computer that they had in there, and he was like, no, 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 no. You just need to adjust this. It's all It's all it needs. Yep. Oh, she wants a little more gas. She wants a little more fuel coming through the lines. What do you think of that? Because I that is a real detail. He would, he would literally go to the engineers and go – all right, well, you can run your tests, but I'm telling you right now, this is exactly what it wants. You know, if you're an experienced designer with a lot of knowledge of the vehicle, you can do that. It's an incredibly complicated system, and whenever you're doing engineering, you're always doing trade-offs. You can't make anything perfect mm -hmm. because it's going to make something else less perfect. And so there's a constant battle on how you balance what's necessary for your best design. And I find that completely believable that someone who spends a lot of time working on these vehicles would be in a position to say, you know what, I have a pretty good guess of what's happening here. And in fact, that's how engineering works because we can't test every possible thing very easily. We can't come up with a way to say, oh, let's test every possible option that might be causing this problem. Experience plays a huge role in being able to say, hey, this is the problem we're running into. It's probably one of these few things Let's go figure out which one of those few things it is. If it's a thousand possibilities, there's no chance that we're going to figure out what it actually is. So. All right. From a movie standpoint, mm -hmm. um, I, I know I got this big old grin when I saw, like, you know, the Le Mans scenes and all the racing scenes. I will say there was one track that I noticed wasn't the actual track. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's me being super nitpicky. Mm -hmm, I'm mm -hmm. like, of course they can't go to this track and and – Actually, there were two, but one of them doesn't exist anymore, so I gave him a pass on that. What do you think of the race scenes? Were they were they as thrilling for you? Who, I mean, I'm a super big race guy, but for you, you know, a layman, what what would what did you enjoy? I enjoyed the race scenes quite a lot. I enjoyed, in particular, looking at how the team has to interact with the car. I think that's a huge aspect of being a successful race. Is the the whole idea of when they did they basically said that we're going to replace the entire brace brake section as an mm -hmm. idea that was like that's an awesome engineering moment <laughs> plus an awesome racing moment right because it allowed the car to go much faster than they were planning than they would have been able to do otherwise and so that whole scene where they do that they do that switch <laughs> they go out and start racing again to me that was like wow okay that's your competitive advantage that's your your value proposition what makes your approach better than anyone else's and i have to admit the first question i had coming out of the movie was so i wonder if they started doing that with more parts of the car you know by the end of the race <laughs> did they replace half the car because that made it a better car in the long run because the parts weren't wearing out as fast and i was honestly curious about how far they went with that idea I love I, I love the fact it, you know in racing and I think as an engineer you'll appreciate this in racing there's a proud history of well your rule book isn't thick enough so we're gonna we're gonna make sure that next next year it's just that little bit thicker so that you can if you want to say we cheated point us to the world book and tell us where we cheated otherwise and and you know we were talking it's a complex system there's no way you can write a perfect rule book for something as complex about that so racing has a very proud history of I don't want to say cheating, but bending the rules, shall it's, we it's, say. It's this, you know, our student design teams, they do the exact same thing. They're going to look at those rules, and it's like, hey, do I actually have to have landing gear? Or can I land it on its belly? Can I hand launch it? Can I do this? Teams would figure out ways to cheat the motor so they over the motor on average would have the right amount of thrust. But no, when we're taking off, we can go a little <laughs> bit higher, and then we'll go a little bit lower. Uh. 
I'm so. gonna I'm gonna go th- I'm gonna go through two real quick uh, before two cheating scandals that I think you'll really appreciate. This year, Ferrari uh, had a uh, it had a system in place that might have sent just a little more fuel to the engine than could have been done. So I'm gonna draw a graph, and okay. if you guys want to f- see the graph, you can go to F1. You can go to mine uh, at Formation Lap 101 or Tim's at Tim F1, and you can look up a video of it. But basically, they have a sensor. That uh, has a f- that uh, takes fuel flows mm-hmm. rates every second, and Ferrari figured out that uh, well, shoot, all I got to do is just alter the fuel flow rate, and uh, instead of it, you know, measuring me at my peak, measure all I got to do trial. is, is, yeah. is me- measure it, yeah, right in the middle, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're getting away with adding more fuel mm-hmm. by offsetting that little sensor by like a half or quarter of a second or whatever it is. And, yep. And uh, that's, that's very smart. <laughs> you know, everybody the brilliant part is Red Bull. Um, Red Bull caught wind of it, shall we say. And they're like, well, shoot, that's not technically illegal. But what we're going to do is we're not going to make the formal accusation of Ferrari cheating because that would bring down harsh penalties on us. What we're going to do is we're going to hypothetically propose a part that does exactly that. Have the FIA go, no, 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 that would be cheating. And now the FIA tests for it every time. And wouldn't you know it, Ferrari's a little bit slower near the end of the season. That's clever. I like that. It's not protesting that. It's like, hey, we're going to try to do this slightly differently and see if you approve of it or not. Uh, and then um, the, the one in NASCAR a couple years ago was NASCAR has post-race inspections, but there's no way to... You know, obviously, when you're racing, you can't just inspect a car right. in the middle of it. So NASCAR figured out that your rear windshield, if there was a slight dip in it, was somehow aerodynamically advantageous, just the way the car mm-hmm. you know is built. Well, that's technically not legal, right? Your windshield has to have a certain curve to mm-hmm. it. And they figured out, well, shoot, if we just build the structure weak enough right there, under speed and under all the, all the you know, air, you know, Mm-hmm. downforce is going on it'll naturally buckle into that <laughs> into that shape mm-hmm. and then when it slows down it'll pop, pop right back, back out so the the nascar rule you know enforcement t- committee is looking at that and they're going we could see you cheating right there and teams roll right around to the to the post-race inspection go D- is it there nope can't do anything about it can you nope. okay well <laughs> now unless you can inspect it while the car is moving it's nope. very hard to yeah no i you know Flexible surfaces are a tremendous design thing that people can do now. So that's that's another brilliant idea. (laughs) And then, of course, there's the infamous one where uh, they, what was it? They mandated how big the the fuel tank can be. Mm -hmm. But they didn't mandate how long the hose from the tank to the gas (laughs) can, to to the engine could be. So some team wound that sucker, coiled it, and got like an extra four gallons of fuel in there. Now, of course, that's extra weight, so you'd have to see what that balance is off to. But, yeah, that's that's – yeah, hey – you didn't say we couldn't do that. We could just put as much fuel as we want. We're going to put – this is not the fuel tank. This is just a connector. And this is another connector. Sure. Why not? Uh, now, on the flip side, of course, you go back to the Volkswagen thing and the diesel emission standards mm-hmm. that they cheated on. So, you know, they're, they're, they didn't break the rules technically, technically. either. But. En- engineers are just here to, you know, push rule books in certain directions. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> That's part of the game. And if someone says we want you to do this, one of the things we teach is that you have to figure out what the requirements are, what the rules are, and you design to that. And if there's an opening, you take it. You don't, you know, you say, hey, 
You know, you didn't specify this. All right, we're going to go ahead and design and take advantage of that fact because we can come up with a better design. So. Uh, well, I appreciate the chat. This was actually a lot of fun. I like this. <laughs> but no, it's an excellent movie, and you know, and it really does show a lot of the process of how you have to go through the engineering of a complex system mm -hmm. like a race car. And so, and it is a combination of art and science. It's it's knowledge. It's it's experience. It's somewhat educated guesswork, and it's somewhat doing very definitive testing in order to see what's going to happen. So that goes into these designs, and so experience matters, and there's people who know what they're doing, and they can give you better results. So you heard it here first from Dr. LeBeau. Ford versus Ferrari, not only good, but also educational. It is. There you go. And I encourage any any anyone who's thinking about engineering, particularly auto engineering, go see it because it Tells you a lot about how the process is going to happen. Well, thank you so much again for this second little sit down. As we were mm -hmm. walking out, I was like, actually, let's talk about that real quick. <laughs> so thank you again, Dr. Lebeau. This time, we'll have Tim come on in just a couple <laughs> minutes. Uh, you're listening to The Formation Lab with 101 ESPN. The Formation Lab with Luke and Tim. The Formation Lab. Well, that was Dr. Ray LeBeau of St. Louis University, also of Boeing, and a good friend of the show. Hashtag friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> what what a masterclass in how to break down everything intellectually, yeah, and and just be a fan for a minute of uh, of good filmmaking. <laughs> good filmmaking, and also I loved when he I got him to laugh a lot about the about the cheating scandals we've had because I feel like engineers can appreciate other engineers thinking creatively <laughs> they think outside the box it's what they're paid to do it's exactly. what they're trained to do exactly so, and and to hear him laugh about it isn't like a it's more of a <laughs> that's actually a pretty good idea yeah that's not bad <laughs> yeah, like that's 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 a game respect game laugh is exactly. what it is and exactly. i thought i thought that was it was not where we anticipated going but i thought it was a really good dive into the mindset of not just you know a formula one engineer which he's not but engineers as a people Right, like because exactly, yeah. they all have that similar mindset, and they I do. thought that was an interesting peek into into what they think, you know, yeah, how they it, how they operate. It was a great interview. So thanks again to Dr. LeBeau. Uh, if you're at St. Louis University and you're not taking a class with Dr. LeBeau, what are you doing? Get wow. over there right now. Yeah, go take some hard classes and then go to go take Dr. LeBeau because he is awesome. He taught me and he taught me and Tim crap. He, he can teach you crap. Trust me. We're a couple idiots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we are two knuckleheads <laughs> slash knuckle draggers. So you should definitely go take his class. He's amazing. Oh, good stuff. All right, so let's get into this. I have a list, and I have... Do we have intro music for this? Nominees. And that is F8, because we just trashed some companies we probably shouldn't <laughs> we have trashed. So, so we're back live now. Yeah, we, we, we have edited some things up because of uh, holiday shenanigans due to Luke and Tim's fatigue. Yay! <laughs> anyway, no, we don't have music. Maybe we will. That's my space to put in music. If you don't hear music, that's me being lazy. If you do, that's me finding little Overachieving Luke. Yeah. Way to go. The, so, the, the holiday spirit has taken you where you need to go. Uh, but... This week, we have our inductees into the Rich Energy Corner In of Weirdness. The Rich Energy Corner of Weirdness of all-time villainy, villainy, I think. Villainy, that's a good villainy one. Villainy is a good one. Rich Energy Villainy Corner is what we should probably Ooh, call that. the I Villainy like Corner. Because oh, yes. once you're in the Villainy Corner, uh, a.k.a. the Rich Energy Corner, there's, there's no coming out. Nope. 
There's, you are forever in that corner. <laughs> you're at the corner of of crap housery, exactly. shall we call it? So, yep. all right. So, uh, would you like to do? We have a list of one, two, three, four, five, six nominees. All right. I have the headshots printed out of all of them. Check our Twitter at Formation Lab One Hundred One afterwards for what the wall will look like. I mm. don't know what the wall looks like at this point because they're not up yet. That's right. So, Tim, this one is one near and dear to you. It it's, is. It's near and dear to me for a different reason. Yes. But I will let you have our first nominee. Okay. Our first nominee. It is not difficult to respect his talent. He has had two world championships. He has had so many accolades to his name, so much praise heaped on him from every corner of the motorsport discipline. But our first nominee is Fernando Alonso, the champion for uh, the back-to-back titles in 2005 and 2006. Drama has followed him wherever he goes, be it McLaren, Renault, Ferrari, cheating scandals at McLaren and at Renault, uh, some shenanigans at Ferrari, and then he went back to McLaren for what was arguably one of the saddest ends to a career that we've ever seen, mm-hmm. um, as long, you know, obviously caveat for, you know, those that ended up dying, and now I feel badly. But um, but he does seem to have calmed down over the years and had a positive PR piece now for McLaren. Um, was he ever bad enough to be on the wall? Has he cooled down enough? Here is my take. I'll go with this first um, because reasons. Um, I'm going to say he does not belong on the wall. I will agree. I put him on there out of fair interest because I know he's one of the more hated drivers in in F1 history. And he has had drama everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere Fernando Alonso goes, he has drama. There's cheating uh, in Renault. There was, uh, of course, Crashgate. Crashgate, which we'll get into later, uh, benefited Fernando Alonso. But I feel like some of, uh, to a certain extent, and the McLaren spying thing, uh-huh. where they got Ferrari uh, details of their car, and Fernando was talking about how to use it with his uh, director, I think, or not his director, or uh, his mechanic, his engineer, yeah, something like that. Um, and you know, but it's just it's a consistent thing, and it, ultimately, the common denominator is Fernando, and who he ha- who and Team Fernando. But I will say that most of this drama isn't. The, the the weight of the drama doesn't always fall on Fernando when the drama strikes Fernando's team. Right. And so he's he's always drama adjacent, but at a certain point, again, the common denominator is Fernando. It is. I mean, even McLaren with, you know, stalling out to make sure that Lewis didn't get a hot lap in qualifying. I mean, stuff like that. He would sabotage his teammate, he would sabotage his team inadvertently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, the his nomination is not undeserved. Um that being said, I just don't think it's up to the level of, of these no. other nominees. And, and I don't and I don't think so either. And I think in twenty nineteen, after after I really, you know, watched him around the, the Indy five hundred around the last few years, right, when he ran the Indy five hundred in twenty seventeen, I think he's a lot more of a positive PR piece. Um, he doesn't come across with that arrogance that once struck him when he was back-to-back in Renault. Mm. Um, and I think that I don't want to say redeemed, but I think he's helped his case to stay off the wall in the recent couple of years right. since he's retired. I would agree. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so first nominee, I don't think he's, I don't think he's there. Um, second nominee, oh, yeah. Right, well, oh, yeah. Well, let's, let's take the, the, the Fernando. great Fernando Alonso picture here, and we'll yep. put him off to the side. I have had, I have, you know. Should we put him on the probation wall? Mm, 
I don't know if he he hasn't done anything recently to deserve probation. So maybe well, he his last race he did earn several dozen points on his uh, super license because he kept cutting the chicane because he figured, eh, screw it, I don't have to be here anymore, <laughs> so I'm just gonna cut all these things. Yeah, but so that's... he made up a, clack, a, a track that he he drove a track that he clearly made up in his head. That's slightly legendary status, though, right? Like, come on. <laughs> anyway, but uh, I have all these all these cutouts, so I'm gonna caveat this next one. All right, this next one's probably the biggest, uh, second biggest villain, I would say, in F1 history. Mm. Um, you have to remember that everybody you nominate, everybody we agree that goes on the wall, you have to look at. Yeah, the, I know. For the rest I of know. time. And uh, this one guy, you don't have this here, but he did become a meme outside the F1 world. Mm-hmm. He was the meme, the one, if it were, it's famous on the internet where you see it and you say, uh, if your son asks you why he should study in school, show him this picture. If your daughter asks you why she should study in school, show her this, this picture. <laughs> and it's the same picture. <laughs> and it's of our nominee with a young model in the ocean. And our nominee isn't. Um, well, he isn't a specimen. Let's say that. No, he is Flavio Briatore. Flavio. Flavio. Jesus Christ. So, so you, you want to explain why that meme is. Let, let's first say Flavio is currently 69 years old, and uh, he has a habit of dating models that are, what, in their mid-20s? Yes, he has. A, he he definitely has a type. That like um, I would, he, is a, he is a billionaire. Yeah, that um, I would look at and go, ooh, she's cute. She's my age. And, and she, he's nearly 70. He is nearly that. Yes, he he is a notorious party boy. He has served two terms in prison, several fraud charges, and has, of course uh, helmed Benetton and Renault until 2009 when he received uh, the oh. lifetime ban for uh, his <laughs> shenanigans in the 2008 Singapore Grand Prix. Um, where he ordered Nelson Piquet to intentionally crash to help Alonso win in Singapore. Um, he fought the ban in court and g- did ultimately get it overturned, but um, he, uh, and so he's able to like talk about it, but he's not welcome back in the paddock. Yeah, he, so he's, sure. he's not welcome back in the paddock. Because everybody knows that, yeah, there was also a famous uh, Ross Braun story when he, when they worked at Benetton, and uh, there was something about black boxes on the car. And Flavio said, "Oh, I've brokered a deal. All we have to do is, you know, admit we were wrong, take a small fine, and we're we'll be good to go." And Ross Braun stuck his ground. He said, "No, we didn't break any rules. I don't know what you know kind of deals you're cooking up back there in the back rooms, but that's not us. Like we we're right." And he and Ross Braun was correct. And so Flavio, that kind of speaks to his mindset where he, if he thinks he's wrong, he assumes he is, and then he so he starts brokering deals. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of shady stuff it is. <laughs> so Flavio, I do believe, has earned his uh, spot in the rich energy corner of villainy. So let's let's talk a little bit more uh, about Flavio. 2008 Singapore Grand Prix. This was one of the biggest scandals of the last decade. Um, I believe is around lap 13. Uh, the top two drivers, I think one of them was Hamilton, uh, Hamilton, somebody else is running second. Uh, probably Alonzo. Yeah. No, uh-huh. Alonzo was running third. But they need they needed a safety car. Right. Alonzo is running third. He had already pitted. Nelson Piquet is Alonzo's teammate at Renault. Nelson Piquet Jr. Nelson Piquet Jr. is Alonzo's teammate at Renault. And Flavio Briatore goes, hey, uh, so under a yellow under a yellow flag, these two leaders are going to pit. They, it's optimal for them to pit. But we've already pitted. So... We're close enough. We'll just take first at that point, and we'll just defend that for the race. So he calls up Nelson PK Jr. and goes, hey, you know that wall? Just hit it real quick for us. Thanks, buddy. And that was that was huge. It was race. It. It's race fixing. Yep, it, it was race fixing. And 
Um, you know, you you intentionally scuttle one guy's career uh, to bolster, and Alonzo is still managed by Flavio Briatore. Mm. So it's just kind of shady, and by kind of, I mean super shady. This was this was a huge. I mean, this is still talked about in Formula One to this day. But Flavio and his wild wild hair, the second biggest villain of all time in F one. I will hand you. Flavio, and if you'll grant me just a spot of dead air here, I'm going to go grab the the stapler, and uh, we will be right back. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, with co- with live coverage of the first edition to the Rich Energy Corner, Fra- Flavio Briatore. Here we go. Tim lines him up. I still can't see him. Uh oh, he's he's reaching. He's reaching to grab some other people here. He's. He's trying to see how it'll be arranged. He's trying to gauge how many people will come up on here. But you you worry about Flavio first, buddy. Yo, the staple's in. The staple's in. It's perfectly in the middle of his forehead, he tells me. Again, I have a big black, you know, box with computer stuff in it that's between me, so I don't have to see the unholy nightmare. This spawn of of Satan himself. The spawns. He's not the spawn of Satan. I'm not talking the spawns of Satan. Just I'm talking the shady sp- characters. He's a billionaire that's gotten away with some stuff, and he international you know, pulled some playboy. He's he's what he's what he Tony isn't... Stark would be if Tony Stark <laughs> had no morals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but you know he's just one of those characters. I, I shouldn't um, say that. I shouldn't say spawn of Satan. I I like I like the wall of unholiness, so I have to keep myself cleansed. The, wa- the wall of weird. The They're wall good, of weird. They're good villains for the paddock. Uh, the, a paddock always needs a good villain. They're the Yankees. They need they're the heel. fun to hate. Yeah, they're the heel. And uh, Flavio just has some more <laughs> stuff than everybody else. Oh. Um, but that brings us nicely on to our next nominee. Is who... Nico Rosberg finished? <laughs> I think yes. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I rooted for, or no, you rooted for uh, Nico when he took Hamilton for a year, but his reporting has not aged well. He has become a meme. Really dumb hot takes. Endless fault finding. Uh, a vendetta against Hamilton. His <laughs> vlogs have ignited ire of drivers and fans everywhere. In the works, words of Max Verstappen, he is the next uh, Jacques Villeneuve. He Who is, is also on our list. He is also next on our list. Um, yeah, no, he deserves to be on here. Nico definitely deserves to be on here. Right, His I, hot takes are terrible. You want to you want to go over some of the better hot takes? I think some of the better hot takes are. Uh, uh, you know, actually, I have the I have other ones listed here, but I think um, I think. His hot takes to me, they borderline. They're they're not even borderline. They are clickbait, right? Yeah, it is so, all clickbait. So Nico it's, Rosberg, to those yeah. who don't know, former Formula former Formula One driver, same team as as uh, former one, Formula One world champion. I, I had a friend come to me and go like, "I'm trying to follow along, but I'm in my car, so I can't Google everything. So could you guys explain just a couple things here sure, and there?" Yeah. And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Former champion, former teammate of Lewis Hamilton decides I'm going to retire, go do vlogs. You can he, look up his YouTube channel. He and retired are, almost instantly when he won right. the world championship, out, which sent everything into a – it started a really cool, uh, silly season because um, the uh, Mercedes uh, big team pulled up uh, Valtteri Bottas from the Williams team where he was uh, teammates with uh, uh, Felipe Massa. Felipe Massa, yeah. And uh, they were really, really good that year too. And that was – you know, it was interesting to see that happen. Um, and so they came back, but, and, um, but, and then, uh, Nico goes off and does his own thing. He does like private investing. 
he and he starts up his vlogging and he starts up a, a really bizarre podcast called Beyond Victory where he kind of his interviews are weird. Mm-hmm. And by weird I mean you know ew, like creepy sometimes. Yeah. Um and not to, not to take the the not to take the piss out of all of it because it it does he does have some shining moments just like he does when he's you know reporting for Sky and he and he gives like some good things oh he's going too fast through here or oh he's overcooked this yeah okay he's objectively right but you know it's like oh uh, Hamilton got out uh, got out qualified uh, in Austria because you know you're at altitude the Mercedes engine is that good is Hamilton's career done yeah. no it's not he, he suffers from clickbait. And that, that's, he is a very clickbaity human being. That's what I get, is he's clickbaity human being. But I'm going to argue no, because in terms of bad takes, we have somebody who is much, much worse coming up, okay? To well, me, he's th- much you can, worse. You can, well, yes, but I'm not. that's not the but, bar. But let me get here, all right? Okay. If I put, if I put another guy up here, and then I put... And then I put Nico up here. I feel like that's putting them on equal footing, and it's not equal footing. I feel like this is 2019. Going on 2020, the only way that you're going to drive a brand new media empire is clickbait. All right? We've shied away from clickbait for the most part, but let's be honest here, guys. All right? We could see some percentage growth if we just went with clickbait. Right? Yeah, but we like this show, so we don't want to die a horrible death. Right. But he needs views. He wants views. He knows how the game is played. Can you fault a man for playing the game that's put in front of him? Yes. And here's why. We're talking about villainy. We're talking about the heir apparent to our next nominee, Jack Villeneuve, who you and I both agree is going on the board. Um, and he does the same thing. Jack wanted to let's let's just let's throw him in here and and because he's part of the debate we we're let's just t- name him as the, All right. as the nominee. All right, let's... He is the original king of the hot take. Let's table him for now. Uh-huh. He is the original king of the bad hot take. Here are a few scorchers from Jack Villeneuve. May, may I, please? Absolutely. <clears throat> I think there are two classes of drivers. You're either in a Fernando Alonso or you're a Rosberg, and Nico Hulkenberg is a Rosberg. Formula One should be the pinnacle of racing. It's the king class. Then it is not good for the sport if anyone with a disability can participate, at least not in Formula One, perhaps in other classes. Formula One must be tough, must be difficult, must be almost unreachable. Robert Kubica's return is not the right message. Which that is a scorcher of a take. Wow. <laughs> Bruh. <laughs> Bruh. Jesus. Yeah. And that uh, uh, J- Jensen Button is a weak teammate. <laughs> Uh, so, um, I, I, I posed a question here. Yes. Nico Rosberg, we all agree, is the heir apparent to Jacques Villeneuve, right? Has he been overtaken? Has Jacques Villeneuve been overtaken by Nico Rosberg? Not yet, because there's something you didn't add in here that I will also add in uh, as he is. This is a crime, I think, against humanity. Um, Jacques Villeneuve, much like other mistaken celebrities thinks that he is also a musician. No. He is going he went full Jeremy Renner and put out an album called Private Paradise. Is it butt rock? Please tell me it's butt rock. It I don't know, it's just bad. Oh. And it's really really bad music. And if anybody is offended by my um by my singing on this pr- uh, program, I invite you to go listen to Jack Villeneuve and then come back and realize that I'm actually the John Legend 
of this podcast compared to that. <laughs> I, I I have some dulcet tones here, ladies and gentlemen. I sound awesome compared to that. Oh um, my goodness! It's, yeah, so he he has assaulted our ears with everything. And, now, and not only that, I will say the only reason that he has this platform is because he's the son of Gilles Villeneuve. Yeah, Gilles. and and granted, he was a world champion once, just like Nico mm-hmm, Rosberg. Mm-hmm. Um, and but yeah, the only reason he got a seat was because he's Gilles Villeneuve's son. Mm-hmm. There's a track named after that guy. That guy was a rock star. He was a god among men. There's a reason his nickname is Jacques, son of Gilles Villeneuve. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> Gilles' son. Yeah, he's Gilles' son. He, yeah, exactly. It's and it's not like Carlos Sainz's son, where Carlos Sainz Jr. actually has a lot of raw talent and he's going to have that staying mm-hmm. power. Jacques couldn't find a drive because no one could stand Jacques. <laughs> Um, so, you know, and he still does bad hot takes. And I think the thing is, is that is where, uh, Nico Rosberg is, is evolving to. He had more hot takes this year than Jacques did. That's a good point. He was almost all the time, almost every single race weekend. He had those bad takes where you're like, oh, Nico. Shut up. Come well, on, oh, bruh. I forgot. That was, uh, was that Nico or was that Jacques who said that Lewis Hamilton intentionally put his car where he did during the incident in the Canadian GP? Uh, I think it was I think it was I think, Rosberg. I think that was Nico. Oh yeah, and it's like <laughs> and 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 it's just like, dude. <laughs> no, he was just there. <laughs> yeah, it's just like in you know for, it's all this where like I could see like being like Team Nico because Lewis is so good and it's the underdog story. But no, I'm Team Lewis. Absolutely all right. not. All right, you know what? You want to put both of them up Let's there? Let's do Let's it. Let's describe these pictures real quick. So we have we have Jacques. Who you know? We got his hair just everywhere, bleached all over. Bleached the place. all over. He's got yeah, life. Red- ha- life hack for anyone listening: if your eyebrows don't match, that's not your natural color. Yeah. Um, and this does not match. <laughs> He's got bright red hipster glasses. All right, and, and the bleached uh, '90s band guy thing. Oh, he looks. He looks like he could lead Sing Sugar Ray right now. <laughs> all right, so I hand it off to Tim. Tim is opening up the stapler. He's looking. He's positioning carefully. Up. Up and to the left, it appears to go. Here goes the staple. Oh, oh, there it was. That was a beautiful shot. Beautiful shot, Tim. Now, uh, Tim, just sit, ba- sit back down. Grab the mic real quick. I want to describe the reason I chose this. Because it, this picture of, of Nico Rosberg is from one of his YouTube of- vlog thumbnails. It's from I'm Hiring. And he's. I picked this because I, if you staple it, He's going to be pointing. He's at kind of like a. He's pointing right at me. He's That's pointing right at you, it. right? Oh. So he's got kind of a. Imagine a Fonzie-esque a point going on, right? He, just just exactly look up Nico that. Rosberg meme, and this is the first thousand photos that'll come up with some garbage hot take that he's done. And not only that, you can see very clearly see fire in the background oh, yeah. for the explosions. So Tim walks up to the board. Oh boy, here we go! Right above the Rich Energy Corner logo, he goes. Here goes a staple. Oh, there it is. Oh, that was a well-placed staple. Right in the heart. Oh, it's just shot through the heart. And Tim's to blame. Nico Rosberg gives reporting a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. And uh, that. And by the way, those lyrics, still better than Jack Villeneuve's album. Oh. <laughs> Nailed it. We went full William Shatner and sounded better. Oh, dude, William Shatner's album I kind of unironically love. Like, like they're so bizarre. What a, what a- Crazy dude. Like he has had an intense life. He is still out there. I uh, I got his autograph a few years ago. Yeah, and he's still perfectly going. He was in his forties when he did Star Trek back in the seventies. <laughs> dude, he is that guy does not stop. Okay, so all here's right, anyway. all right. We so background. We re- we met 
through Reddit, back when Reddit was a much smaller website than it is now, for the record. Long time ago. Yeah, long Many time moons. ago. Um, but uh, William Shatner has a Reddit account, and if you go subscribe to our William Shatner, he'll be like, hi, everybody, How's he? how are you guys doing? And you can just post stuff, and William Shatner will be like, yeah, I can verify that story is true. Or, like, you can just go talk to William Shatner on the William Shatner subreddit. You know who else do, does that kind of thing? They, they run their own uh, social media, and they will answer questions? Jamie Renner. <laughs> Only if you pay him. Um, no, Alan Prost. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There was yeah, that. Yeah. Th- there was a. There was a story about uh, him talking negatively about Nico Hulkenberg, and so someone on Reddit went on and uh, messaged him. I think on Instagram and said, uh, "Hey, Alan, we're seeing a lot of this. Is this true?" And he goes, "In no way was this true. Is any of this true?" And I wasn't anywhere close to where they said I was because uh, <laughs> I was over here doing this, and I have you know. And he was like super cool about it. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, hats off to Alan Prost and William Shatner. That's why that's why Alan Prost is on our wall of fame right next to the immeasurable Nikki Lauda. That's right. Back to the wall of not even wall of shame. This is below the wall of shame. This is the <laughs> Well, this cor- is adjacent. This is this is this is its own weird uh dimension. Co- quarter of intrigue. <laughs> that's what it should be. <laughs> the quarter the of rich in- energy corner co- of intrigue. <laughs> intrigue. Okay. Intrigue and vill- and villainy. So it could be the I'll- rich energy corner of intrigue. The Rekiv, R-I-C-I-V? No, R-E-C-I-V? I don't know. Something like that. There's a rich energy corner of intrigue and villainy. But this <laughs> next one. This next one, this is a gentleman who said he doesn't care if there's anyone in the stands for F1 racing. It doesn't matter. This means is, nothing. This is maybe the biggest villain in F1 history. He, he undoubtedly grew the sport financially. But like anybody who helms a professional sports league, uh, he found himself in on the villainous side of things, and more so than Roger Goodell, more so than you know uh, David Silver, Gary Bettman, even dare I say more so than Rob Manfred. He Ooh. he has found himself in so many villainous, so many poorly decided, poorly worded places so many poorly thought out places that bernie ecclestone has to be one of our nominees here bernie ecclestone i could just go on and on so let's let's go on and on a little just a little bit like not too much but let's talk about him quoted hitler in a favorable way yeah well he has that too he he said he admired what was it he like admired hitler's leadership qualities or like he had he had he knew how to run a tight ship but at the end of the day he wasn't a good dictator so that that was i believe his quote summarized pretty briefly all right so let's start out first off um he was all about the money bernie ecclestone was always about the money he made it in in no way secret that he wasn't about the money and you can look at his history of place putting races in literally any country that'll smack a couple dollars on the table so if you wonder why f1 races in china which you know a bit of a questionable you know Things going on there, or Russia, where he kisses up to Vladimir Putin and has a special Vladimir Putin box in there, or you know, then Soviet Hungary. Now Hungary is a fine place now, but back in the day, they broke the Iron Curtain to go <laughs> to go yeah. race. Uh, Bahrain, uh, where you know, I might add that uh, the labor laws there are not too many steps above slavery. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> slavery light. Yeah, um, but. You, you, didn't you, wonder, go, you didn't go the full Budweiser, you got Bud Light. Yeah. You're not, you're not full slavery, but it's slavery light. But if you wonder why F1 races in places like that, 
it's it's because of Bernie Ecclestone. All and of those his places, relentless pursuit of money. Right. He and you see a lot of companies jump over to China, right? And nowadays, especially with their with their record. But and he would come out and straight up endorse the local governments. He would, and you know, if we if that's our thing, we may actually. He's not in it, but we may actually add LeBron James to that corner <laughs> because LeBron's had some yeah. iffy choices of comments lately. Yeah. Ugh. It's it's interesting watching a guy who is so, like, beyond reproach <laughs> as of last year, this year, have, like, a heat, like, just a, a storm around him. Exactly. Anyway, back to, back to Bernie Ecclestone. So yep. he has a history of putting it in places where, to put it, you know, human not, rights have been violated. Have been violated. And not only that, he has quotes about these human rights, about his policy on going to countries with very poor human rights. And remember, this isn't just like, you know, LeBron James's shoe manufacturing is in China or LeBron James sells a lot of shoes in China. Remember, this is human rights violations in a place where you're taking your employees to go work. Correct. Right? So there's a difference between LeBron James and, you know, Blizzard Entertainment just wanting to protect that market and Blizzard taking you over there and being like, okay, you experience these these rights that they have right now. Right. He had an interesting quote where he, he basically said rights are, human rights are like speed limits where every country's got one, but it's all just kind of on a sliding scale. Whatever. Oof. 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 Yikes. Uh yeah, uh what else did he do? Oh, he's uh the, the see the the one the one that you included here that I think is damning um is the one about women. Yeah, so uh one while we're on the topic of his poor quotes and you got to remember too for those of you who just joined F1 after Drive to Survive, this guy was the head of F1 from 78 until 2017. Like he has been Formula 1 for years. And all while making quotes like this Women should be dressed in all white like other domestic appliances. Whew. Whew. That's something That's something your weird uncle says at Thanksgiving and everybody goes, eh. And you. he said that into a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> he said that into a microphone. And it's it's so degrading toward women. It's, it's so, so dehumanizing. Yes. It, like that's what, he's the kind of guy that the Me Too movement was about. Yeah. And it's just so crummy. And and not and not even, not to be missed, too, uh, while we're on his treatment of women, much like Flavio, he would, you know, be spotted with women maybe a third of his age. Uh, yeah. All over the place. and we're not saying that's bad sometimes. Hey, different strokes for different folks, but he definitely has a type. He and vi- he definitely has an image that he tries to maintain. And it's not about the person, whereas, you know, Luke and I would both encourage you to... Uh, pursue in your significant other not just their physical qualities but their personality that who they are as a as a human being what mm-hmm. regardless of your gender or what you're into find somebody find you someone... like hanging out with and the right. more you like hanging out with the more attractive they'll be physically to you that's that's yeah. the real secret right and, there you know and physical stuff goes away it goes away hence look at bernie yeah, the, um, or Flavio, <laughs> or Flavio. But um, uh, he not only violated the half your age plus seven rule; he violated the quarter of your age plus seven rule oof, on a couple times. Uh, but I'm just saying this: this is the hallmarks of a of a rough uh, villain. Yeah, and um, we're cheering for Liberty Media to take it all, <laughs> all the way to the house. This is this is why no matter what Liberty Media. He does, also brought us Herman Tilka. Yeah. Oh, he brought us that Herman gets Tilka. you into the corner no matter so, what. Some of the v- 
Wall of Shame member, the only architect on our Wall of Shame, he who de- designs the worst F1 tracks, yep. and the only F1 tracks being built now. Um, speaking of things he brought us, he floated a few real bangers of ideas <laughs> uh, to spice up Formula One during his latter years, uh, such as giving out medals instead of trophies like the Olympics. Yeah. Because everybody loves medals. <laughs> uh, what else? Uh, Shortcuts and sprinklers, guys. To, to randomly time sprinklers oh. to inc- to improve the race quality, just add a little bit of chaos. Uh, what else? Extra pit stops for winning drivers, not just reverse order qualifying, which would be interesting, but lottery qualifying. Yeah, <laughs> he also was so incensed about the championship, the first championship in 08 uh, that Lewis won, um, because he he said there was no drama. No drama. No drama. Are you? Were you watching the same Grand Prix <laughs> that the rest of us were, Bernie? That was insane. He, that he wanted to completely. He want. That's when he proposed the metal idea. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, Bernie. That was amazing racing. You know, it's like it was down to the last corner, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but the but the winner didn't win. So so th- that's r- uh. Ugh. all right. So Bernie Eccleston, I've picked a picked a nice picture of of him scowling. At you, he's giving Snarling you just kind of me. like a snarl, like a. I wouldn't put you around my arm in a photo shoot, kind of look, you know, the kind of look he gives to any any woman I presume over the age of twenty eight. <laughs> As the staple goes in, Bernie Eccleston is on our rich energy wall of intrigue and villainy. <laughs> I'm gonna have to uh. update that sign, aren't I? <laughs> the wall of intrigue and villainy. I love that. Yeah, we're going to have to adjust the so, sign for sure. So here's the question. is both. Yes. I mean, we're near the tail end of this episode. Both you and I are big big baseball fans. I know the guys mm. over at the Outlap F1 podcast are big baseball fans. Uh, shout out to the Outlap F1 podcast. What Those up? guys are awesome. Um, anyway, Rob Manfred versus Bernie Ecclestone. Who, who is worse for their sport? Bernie. Bernie. Hundred percent. That's not give, even close. Give give me give me about thirty more years of Rob Manfred, and and we'll get to that point. Pace but, a play, pace a play, pace a play. Shut up, Rob. Gosh, I don't know if I've ever been at a ballpark, and after a nine inning game, been like, "Ugh, dude, I wish that game was just about you know an hour shorter." To me, uh, if you're gonna go to a ball game, you know how long it takes, and that's the enjoyment of it is its leisurely pace. But. We exactly. We, it's but we a, gotta save the thirty let seconds. Let me disconnect from the laser lane that I live in. Yeah. And go back to Americana and what you know, taking a couple hours out of my day for a ball game. I'm there for the beer, for the crowd, and to watch a ball game. I don't want to be rushed. It's a social f- experience. Right. It's a. It is. It's truly an experience. When you come to Bush Stadium in St. Louis and you take in a ball game, it's. You disconnect from the world for a while. There's no, there's no cell phone service in there to speak no. of anyway. The, so the you're downtown disconnected. itself shuts off. There's nothing going on downtown when the when the ball game happens because downtown is the Cardinals. Exactly, and everybody's kind of into the game. You know, people come in from out of town for that are from different teams, and everybody has a good time. It's it's just a good way to to connect with your community mm. and. Yeah, no. For, Rob, knock it off. For our European listeners, let me explain the appeal. All right? I want you to imagine it's, you know, late April. The weather finally hits 70 degrees Fahrenheit for the first time. Uh, I don't know what that is. But let's imagine it's the first warm day where you can wear, you know, shorts and a T-shirt. Okay? And you pull, go out and you put your hammock up out back. All right? And you lay back 
you grab yourself an ice-cold lemonade, all right? You put a pillow under you, and you gently sip while maybe you read a nice book, okay? That is the appeal of baseball, is, yep. is time vanishes, and it's just about enjoying your time and enjoying the sport and enjoying the, the gifts that you've been given yeah. in life, the, the peaceful, leisurely nature. And even if you don't, like I know part of my summer routine when I get home is after I've got my dog all situated, I pour myself uh, what our what our uh, a freshie. dearly our dearly departed friend Chris Duncan used to call a man soda. Man soda. Get myself a man soda. Turn on the ball game, and just kind of relax. Well, and that's the beautiful thing about ball games on TV too is that the leisurely pace means that like you can leave and you know make yourself some dinner and come back a half inning later and you still. And- and you didn't miss a whole. Good. Yeah, you're gonna see. You're gonna hear about the replay. Dan McLaughlin's gonna walk you through exactly what happened. Gosh, and, shout out to Danny Mac. And everything's gonna be fine. You can. It's the only sport where you can actively scroll through your phone and still take the experience in too, which is why I. Or love you it. can read a book. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I literally call it my beer book ball game evenings. It's it's, it's the triple B's. And that's not a knock on it. It's great. Anyway, yeah. so yeah, for our European listeners, Rob Manfred's the. MLB commissioner and he wants to speed up speed up games so that you can take that away from us. It's not uh, about the pace of play. You're saving 30 seconds over 3 hours. Shut up. So I will announce our final. Yes, we have our final final man on here. <laughs> uh do you, would you like to No, go, go for okay, it. Okay, so VJ Malia. Mm. All right. The uh well, let's see. Okay, so the CEO of Force Racing India Point Okay. <laughs> so, for those of you who don't get that joke, Force India was uh, was a team last year. Uh, Vijay Malia committed several financial crimes. Okay. He has not been. It has not been proven in a court of law, Luke. The Indian he, government's trying, trying to, to extradite, extradite him. They're trying to extradite him. They haven't done it yet. He's still in London, but I I will not hear it. <laughs> Vijay did he Malia didn't. Vijay Malia didn't pay his 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 team. They didn't have budget. They didn't have salary for a, for a hot second until his team finally got out from under him and they rebranded as, as Racing Point. VJ Malia is still in you know in a consulate somewhere, I guess, uh, in London, and uh, the Indian government's trying to extradite him to try him for financial crimes. Also, I sent you a picture the other day of his home. Did you see that? It's a it's a mansion. It looks like the White House on top of a skyscraper. The skyscraper is its own building. He just decided to build a, a Disney-esque villain layer on top of a mansion because he can. Yeah, that's mostly why VJ does what VJ does is because he can. Um, so it looks like, yes, he is still in London uh, in his Cornwall uh, Terrace, uh, but um, the bank UBS that owns it is trying to evict him. <laughs> <laughs> and he got he he reached a settlement for a certain an undisclosed amount of money, and the rest can be repaid. But if it, it isn't repaid by April of 2020, so in roughly four months, uh, they can uh, they have a right to seek uh, immediate repossession. <laughs> he must also pay the interest of almost a million, or well, it's 820 thousand pounds accrued up in uh, by April 2019. He owes a lot on this. Place. Yeah, he owes Good a lot Lord. of mo- he owes a lot of money yeah. to a lot of people. So he didn't he just didn't pay his bills. Uh, and he he d- did some financial crimes, but here is why I'm going to say he does not belong in the corner of intrigue and villainy. Sponsored by Rich Energy slash Bernie Ecclestone. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, why doesn't um, he belong? 
because he was not an active villain in the paddock. He did not inflict anything. He did okay. Yes, he didn't pay his guys for a certain amount of time. They did get paid, and all their their back pensions were paid. Everything turned out fine. But other than that, he was good for the sport. He provided a team that pound for pound was the best out there. You and I both cheered for Force India because out they, they were they got fun. the most out of every cent. They got the most out of every cent. They didn't he, have the most cents, but they got the most out of every cent. <laughs> they did. And VJ genuinely cared about his drivers. He genuinely cared about Esteban Ocon. He wanted to make sure he was okay. Okay. And he genuinely cared about Sergio Perez. So I will say that while he was an interesting character, he's the kind of character I want okay. in F1. Here's here's he's why, a malevolent force. Here's why I say, okay, okay, because we have William's story up there. Okay, okay? we have already the guy that precedent. actively trashed F1 and tried to get and went full postal on everybody. He well, went, not full. He postal. was already a nominee for that wall before he went postal. <laughs> he was. He's a lunatic. <laughs> he's Luke. a lunatic. I know. But we have precedent. And what is this but the rich energy story? I will grant you not quite as intriguing as rich energy, but the rich energy full business shenanigans of 2018. He he did do some business shenanigans, but um he 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 ran the team legitimately and paid everything since 2007 until the end in 2018. Except for when he didn't pay those people for and like had the last, to back for like pay the them. last like year. Okay, yes, so the last year <laughs> he didn't pay them that well, but he did pay them for 11 years. And Rich Energy didn't pay anybody. <laughs> they just showed up and they hoped that their pyramid scheme would just keep going and they'd be able to finally it's get off the It's not legally proven that Lightning Volt Limited is a pyramid scheme. <laughs> they have a liquidation person that's on their board of directors now. Um, um, it, counterpoint, okay? okay? He looks like he's making a kissy face, and I think if I put it up on the wall, it'll creep you out for the rest of the time. It, it actually sounds, looks like he's going, ooh, like he's getting poked with a cattle prod. Ooh. ooh. <laughs> um, so here's here's what I'll do. Let's let Todd decide. Okay, we'll let Todd decide. So Todd from the Park for May, the seventh of uh, 7th January. of January, yep. he is on. So Todd rejoins this show. He's going to be our second returning guest ever. I'm sure he'll be happy about that. We'll let yep. Todd decide if VJ Malia goes on the Rich Energy Wall of... Rich int- Energy Corner. Rich of- Energy Corner of Intrigue and Villainy. <laughs> We're going to have to squeeze that in. I stapled them kind of close together. I, I a- grouped it nicely. It's okay. Um, I, I see the circle in the reflection. I can't see that the unholiness touched the light of my being. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so VJ Malia, we'll 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 let Todd decide that. Yep. So for those of you who haven't been listening to our previous ones or haven't listened deep on our previous ones, um, we are taking a two week break basically. Um, for the next two weeks, our re- usual recording time is Tuesdays. Um, that happens to be Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. And as much as I love you, brother, I'm not spending Christmas Eve locked in a room with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's fine. <laughs> I think that's fair. It's cool. I think we've that's got, fair. We've got things to attend to. That's fair. It's been a really great year. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a two-week hiatus, uh, our winter break, and uh, come back with some, I think, really awesome content that's going to be off the chain. I, I So I teased that we have interviews coming up in late January to mid-February that are off the chain. Now, without I, nobody's confirmed. So I cannot say who they are, but will you back me up and say that this would be, this is outlandish? 
It's going to be insane. I'm going to have a blast. I think it's going to happen. I think um, it's going to happen too. They they've they've said basically um yeah. let us get our testing schedule hammered out first uh for preseason testing and once we have that I I gave them a, basically a couple weeks where I said, "Hey, you know, anytime in this, you know, if if you want to do it at 5 a.m., I'll come in at 5 a.m. and do it." And uh they said, "Let's get a, let me get our, our preseason schedule uh hammered out." And uh, once we do that, um, three, two, three drivers will uh, will join the show. Yeah, uh, and not just we're not, so excited. <laughs> not just cool. anybody. Yeah, it's not just it's not just anybody. These are some some uh, these are some top tier top shelf folks. And, and uh, uh, not only that, of course, Todd's coming on. Yep, Todd's uh, coming on. Wolfgang Wanser is confirmed yep. uh, for for February. We're Our still... friend Bob will be back with some more obscure drivers. There you go. Uh, of course, uh, we're trying. We'll have a twenty-four hours of Daytona special, Oof. and oh, so good. I wish we could be there this year, but we'll we'll get there next we year. We will. We will. We'll observe get from afar. We'll yes. get there. Yeah. And uh, hopefully, this this coming year, uh, while we're vision casting next year, hopefully this coming year we'll be at more races than just Gateway. That's right. Uh, we're thinking Iowa. We're thinking Road America, and possibly Austin for IndyCar. Yep. Um. Those are the ideas. We are. We are okay. So I. I should spoil a little bit by saying we are verified members of the IndyCar media. Junkie. We are. So we can kind of get into whatever race you want. The question is just, can we get there? Um. Tim and I can't afford to just you know screw off to you know Long Beach one <laughs> one weekend. Nope. But uh, we can afford to you know drive up to Milwaukee. That's yeah. Not no, that's too- not going to happen. Or drive to Iowa. We could try. I can try. I mean, I'm going to drive. I'll get to Road America. <laughs> I'll get to Road America. Mark but, my words. Uh, but, yeah, so um, we do have some things in the pipeline that we're really excited about. Uh, and we are also, uh, as you can see in the show notes, switching feeds. Yes, we are switching feeds. So we'll have a uh, we'll have an update on that coming up. But basically, uh, while we wrap this show up, um, we... So, okay, so we're moving hosts, all right? We're moving from podcast while we're moving over to Anchor. If you haven't joined us on Anchor, I welcome you all to do it. It's what we've been tweeting out at Formation Lab 101, at TimSTLF1. Just been, follow the link we put in the show notes. That's right. all you got to do. Follow that. Hit hit subscribe. It's the exact same show. You'll know because the name, the episode numbers are the same, but the names are just slightly different. It'll say by Luke Clevenger, by Hubbard Radio, okay? And uh, basically what that does is it allows us to – Distribute on more platforms, so Spotify, uh, all sorts of platforms. We'll be everywhere. Yeah, we'll be everywhere. Two, it allows us to more easily monetize. And uh, the problem is is that Podcast One is really lagging on updating, and we can't really uh, migrate your guys' listenership over to our new podcast. Just yet. So we need you guys to kind of manually do that. Yeah, so if you could jump over and hit the subscribe button, we would really appreciate it. Yep. And... uh, other than that, we'll still keep updating both for a while, but eventually we will just be on the uh, on the anchor one. So, yep. Uh, but uh, we'll keep reminding you. So if you if you forget to do it because you're driving right now or don't something, worry. we'll remind don't you. Don't worry, time. we'll remind you next time. So without any further ado, that'll wrap up this episode of the Formation Lab. I'm Luke. I'm Tim. See you guys next week. Happy holidays. Or actually, see you guys in 2017 or 2020. Holy yeah, crap. We're not going back to 2017, bud. Are you sure? Yeah, we're going straight to 2020. New year. decade. New decade. Can we 2020. Do, I wouldn't mind doing 2019 again. We could just watch the Blues win again, though. 2020.
We're gonna we're we're gonna win it in 2022. It's we're, okay. We're gonna have we're gonna have 2020 vision. New decade. All right. We're gonna, yeah, I am buckled in. It's gonna be great. I know you're afraid of getting older, Luke, but trust me, as someone who is your senior, it's gonna be fine. <laughs> we're gonna have a good time. All right. Well, we will see you guys in 2020. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy Christmas, holidays, Hanukkah, New Year's, whatever you guys celebrate. Have All it. Of them. Make it happy.